Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. A big weekend of fantasy football is ahead. Jamie Eisenberg joins us on the show. Also, we talk some college football with the gridiron scholar John Lobb. We start off out this hour with a little baseball as Fantasy Sports Today Hour 2 starts now. Fantasy Sports Today. Back to Fantasy Sports today. Craig Mish back with you here. Our number two of the show. Want to make sure that you know that you could follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. You could also follow us on Twitter at FNTSY Radio. And we start off this second hour of the show with a little bit of baseball discussion. We actually had a, uh, a trade in baseball last night. And we've we've had a lot of baseball moves, surprisingly, in the month of December. If you guys go back to last year and you remember, we really didn't have a lot of action up until February, especially with the main names. And so as somebody who went to the winter meetings last year, the year before and someone who was going this year, that is definitely a good sign. Interesting that now from both a reality and fantasy point of view, a player that has been taken in the first, let's say, six or seven rounds the last couple of years in fantasy because of the the idea that he can steal bases. Tommy Pham goes from the Tampa Bay Rays over to the San Diego Padres. In, re- in return, the Rays get Hunter Renfro. And I think that that is, is you know, possibly what everyone is going to be looking at in the deal. But... There's also going to be this notion that the uh, Tampa Bay may have gotten the better of this deal. I mean, it, it's certainly possible. They got one of the top prospects in baseball in the infield. And I think that there's certainly a chance that Fam is OK. But, you know, he's also a guy that's getting a little bit older. Now, I, I will say this a couple of years ago. I was the one who said that I thought Tommy Pham was going to be a bust. Um, I, look, I don't know how you kind of quantify his seasons, but he's also been a really, really good player who can steal bases, which makes him valuable. The key is, though, Xavier Edwards, who was taken in the first round of the 2018 draft, now goes back to the Rays, and a lot of people feel like Edwards could be a starting shortstop in Major League Baseball as soon as next year. Whenever the Rays make a trade, you got to take a look at it and wonder what do they know that other teams don't because they always do things on the uh, bargain basement, I guess you could say, and it always seems to work out. Edwards can also play second base, but I think that this shows for sure that the Padres are looking to not only compete, 
but potentially win this season. Like they, I, I think that they're looking to try and win the division. I don't know how they do that with the Dodgers still there and Arizona still competitive, but I suppose a wild card would be fine. Remember, this is the same team that got Manny Machado last year. They had Chris Paddock come on and had a really great year as well. But Fam to me, now goes to a place where I think his value goes down. I don't think it goes up. He's very uh, consistent, but inconsistent. What does that mean? He's consistently giving you a great month, and then he'll slow down for a month. And you're not really sure what to get. It's almost like he's the kind of guy in a fantasy league that you just have to own from beginning to end. And you think that you'll probably get the numbers at the end of the season, like 20 home runs, 20 steals. So this is already his third organization, St. Louis, Tampa, and now San Diego. And it creates a nice scenario for the Padres for sure. And and you like to see teams that are going for it. And I think that, um, you know, that is certainly important because in this day and age with so many of the teams that are tanking, it's rare to see a trade by a team that's basically saying that we're kind of going all in, which is what the Padres appear to be doing at this point. With all the moves that they have made, it uh, it definitely appears that way for sure. A um, couple of other news and notes from baseball. It appears as though the Washington Nationals, at least according to their owner, and now there's this big argument between the owner, Lerner, and Scott Boris. It looks like the Nationals are basically throwing down the gauntlet saying we are not going to re-sign both Anthony Rendon and Steven Strasburg. Scott Boris basically uh, you know, told Ken Rosenthal, the athletic, this morning that the Nationals, after the winning the World Series, have tons of money. They can spend money on anybody that they want. But I would ask you this. Does any Major League Baseball team spend $500 million in an offseason? Because I think that's what it's going to be almost required to get both players. I would assume that based on the contracts that that Zach Wheeler got of 118 million, that Steven Strasburg's got to be between 150 and two. And then after that, Anthony Rendon is probably a $200 million player. So let me go down a little bit from 500 to 400. Does any team have the ability to spend $400 million in an off season? I kind of get it. I, I got, I, I get it a little bit. And I understand that you want to defend your title The Cubs more or less tried. The Astros more or less tried. Does it say that the Nationals are not more or less trying if they allow Strasburg to walk? I guess you guys will kind of have to make that decision for yourself. And then finally, the other uh, player that seems to be uh, getting some percolation here is Madison Bumgarner. And there are reports that the St. Louis Cardinals are talking to him. I was really surprised that the Braves didn't get him and that the Braves opted to go on the one-year deal with Cole Hamels. I know that the Braves are saying the right things, that potentially they could get both players. I don't think that is the case. I think that it is is Soroka on opening day. It is Cole Hamels, the second game of the season. It is Max Fried, probably the third game of the season. Uh, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright. Muller, they, they got a lot of players that they can use. They got a lot of pitchers that they could throw in there uh, can Atlanta. I mean, they let Julio Tehran walk completely. So, uh, yeah, a little bit surprising for the Braves. Not surprising for the Cardinals. Remember, the Cardinals uh, are going to lose Michael Walker this offseason. He's going to be a free agent, too. And, uh, and after Jack Flaherty, is there certainty in that Cardinals rotation? Kind of a strange thing to say. Normally, that's the team that has more certainty than anybody in starting pitching, but they simply don't have the pipeline 
like they've had in the past. So we'll see how that works out. Also, as a quick programming reminder, before we take a break, uh, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday, make sure you listen to this show noon to two Eastern as uh, from nine to 11 Pacific. I will be out at the winter meetings in San Diego with Bernie Pleskoff, and we will be taking a look at the reality and fantasy side of the winter meetings, covering it for FNTSY Radio. Very excited uh, to do that and to be out there. So make sure you tune in and we'll tell you everything that's going on in baseball. But for now, let's take a quick time out here on the show. Coming up next, we dive back into some college football with John Lobb. Then Jamie Eisenberg joins us for two segments. And then we uh, do our little two minute drill and send it over to Dr. Roto coming up in less than an hour from now. I'm Craig Mish here on Fantasy Sports Today. Hope you guys are having a great Friday as we continue the second hour of the show. We'll be back right after this. dailyrodo.com learn from the game's best dfs players we don't just give you premier advice we play every day all major sports all year round we never stop industry-leading dfs tools and custom projections and now the dailyrodo.com optimizer in minutes build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys learn from the game's best dfs players join dailyrodo.com Sports today. And I like football. And I'm going to keep doing them both because they make me feel good. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. And we missed John Lobb so much last week in our uh, Thanksgiving Day time off that we had to bring him back this week to get into the college football conference championship games. After this weekend, we will know will play in the college football playoff. And, John, thanks once again. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome, man. What a great holiday we had. So much good football last week. And we got one more big week. I think this is an underrated week in college football. I mean, this is really going to decide not only conference championships, but who gets into the big four that we're able to enjoy in January. All right, so let's dive right in to start with that. Um Oregon is the first game. That's tomorrow. Oregon will play Utah for the Pac-12 championship. Is it a fair assumption that no matter what Utah does, as long as they win, they are in? Because there are some that feel that is not the case, that if Oklahoma blows out Baylor, then they are in. How do you see this playing out? What has to happen? Let's touch on those two teams, because it seems like, assuming that LSU beats Georgia, whether they cover or not, it's another story. That's you know seven-point line. Utah, by the way, six-and-a-half against Oregon. Uh, John, Utah wins. Are they in or do they need Oklahoma to lose? In my opinion, if Utah wins, they should get in. I do believe that they are a better team in all aspects of the game. Oklahoma has the better offense. There's no denying that. But Oklahoma's defense leaves something to be desired. I believe if Utah beats Oregon and the Ducks are 10-2, and so this would help them in strength of schedule. 
But the Utes only lost when their best player, Zach Moss, the USC, did not play in that game. So I really like the youth. I'm rooting for them tomorrow because Oregon laid a stinker against Arizona State on the road. So the youth are our last hope. Now, I think Oklahoma has some major weaknesses, and you brought that up. And those weaknesses, I think, are being overlooked, and that is the defensive front seven. You can definitely beat Oklahoma in the front seven. I think the youths are underrated. I don't know why on a national level people are not giving them the respect that they deserve because they're a good football team from top to bottom. All right, so uh, noon Eastern on Saturday, assuming Utah wins, and you can't make that assumption, but let's just for the sake of argument say they win, uh, you know, spread not included here. And I do think Utah's got a shot to cover the spread uh, too as well. But uh, look, these championship games go sideways sometimes. Uh, It's the rematch of Baylor and Oklahoma. Oklahoma is nine-point favorites. The Bears were basically two quarters away from being in this discussion right now, John. I mean, they basically controlled their own destiny. If they don't get into the playoff, they're going to look back on that second half and say, we had it and we lost it. Do they stand a chance this week against Oklahoma? Would you take the nine points? I would definitely take the nine points, my friend. I mean, I loved watching that game on that Saturday night. I believe it was three weeks ago now. I thought Baylor lost the game. I still, maybe my narrative is different than the majority. I did not think Oklahoma won that game. I thought Baylor lost it. I'm a big believer when you have an opportunity to put the pedal to the metal, you do that, especially to a great offense. I thought Baylor played scared in the second half. They were happy with punting and putting their very good defense. It's not a great defense, but it's a very good defense on the field. You can't do that against Jalen Hurts and that Oklahoma Sooner offense. I love the nine points with Baylor here. Um, I do think they're going to cover, and I, I think it's 50-50 who's going to win this game. I think the, ba- the Bears have all the motivation. They have the defense, and I think they have the desire to get revenge for that loss a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, when we get to the Bulls, we talk a lot about that, like, like motivation in games in college. And even in the regular season, we talk about it too. I got to tell you, John, I cannot disagree. I mean, you, you got to look at Baylor as the most motivated team going in this week. Like, it's, it, it, I mean, they were so embarrassed in the second half of that game. And for them to get throttled again by Oklahoma, it just like doesn't seem like it's possible. Like you would have to think that this is their chance to make up for what happened there and, and save their season, so to speak. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Memphis is going to take on Cincinnati again. Kind of unfortunate the way that this went down, where Memphis won by 10 last week. And so an easy line. They made it uh, nine this week. Is it just as simple? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I, I, don't, I don't know that Cincinnati can beat Memphis. I'm just not sure that they can after watching last week. But we don't know how much they were really revealing to one another because they had to play again this week. But Memphis is minus nine. It opened up at nine and a half, went down to eight and a half. Now it's back to nine, uh, John, this week. What do you see in this one? So this is fascinating because it's, it's very rare. I can't remember two teams playing back-to-back like this. I'm sure it's happened. It just doesn't flash in my It's um, been a few years. Title. Yeah, it's been a few yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah, so I do believe that Memphis is a better football team. But you do have this X factor, back-to-back week. And I thought, because I watched that game, I thought Cincinnati kind of held back once Memphis took the lead. Now, the Bearcats do not have the offensive firepower to get in a shootout with the Tigers. However, their defense is underrated, and I wonder if the Bearcats are going to change and scheme a little bit differently. Now, I do like Memphis. They're the better team, but that X factor really concerns me because I did notice in the second half, I thought Cincinnati said, hey, let's put the brakes on a little bit. We've got to play this team again in seven days. I think nine points is a lot in this game. All right, now uh, over to the SEC championship where Georgia plays LSU, 4 o'clock Eastern game. Uh, The total is 55. 
I think the line tells a good story here, John. I got to tell you, like, if you would have asked me what this line would have been, I probably would have said LSU by 11, 12. The fact that it's seven, I got to tell you, this is dragging me to take Georgia. It really is. Like, that, the line, I think, is telling me the story because the world is going to take LSU, right? Like, I feel like that's the public play. I don't know that Georgia has enough offensively to compete with LSU, but we've seen the Tigers' defense falter. So uh, it's an interesting game for me. I think I, I kind of see like a low-scoring 20-14 to 14 game maybe, but man, that Alabama-Auburn game last week is shaking me from the SEC with, uh, with the <laughs> amount of turnovers. I mean, I thought that game looked like an under last week, and then you had an interception, and then you had a kickoff return for a touchdown, and then you had another interception, and then you had a fumble for a touchdown. So, I mean, I know that's not normal, but I guess specifically let's just speak to the line here. Why, why is LSU only seven? Tells me Georgia's got a shot. So I think what Las Vegas is telling us, and I was looking at some numbers here, we know that LSU's defense is not very good. And we haven't said that in years, right? We always expect that Tigers defense to be dominant. But this LSU Tigers team, you know, it reminds me of like the 84 Dolphins. They have this great offense, but that defense is lacking on the other side of the field. So what I think Vegas is telling us, they believe that the Bulldogs are going to be able to run the football and control the clock. So the only way, and I agree, I kind of like the seven points with the Bulldogs here, because if Georgia can hold on to the ball for 35 to 37 minutes, and what that means to me is DeAndre Swift better get 30 carries in this football. You know, Mm -hmm. right? I I mean, I, I think he's been an underused asset all year, but that's a different story for a different day. But in this game, Swift has got to get the ball as much as possible because you cannot let Joe Burrow and that offense have 28, 29 minutes of ball because they're going to put points on the board. So to me, yes, I know what LSU is going to do, and I think Georgia is going to be all right on defense. They're not going to shut down the Tigers, but they can slow them down. If I get that seven points and the Bulldogs come out here and run the clock, I feel really good about that, Craig. Yeah, I think if you wait till Saturday, you may get seven and a half. It seems like it's at least trending that way. A lot of public money coming on LSU for sure. Okay, so um, the Big Ten and ACC championships, I don't know if it's fair to lump them together, but no one is really giving Wisconsin a chance, and certainly no one will give Virginia any chance to beat Clemson. I don't ever remember a conference championship game, games of this magnitude, where a team like uh, Clemson, 28-point favorite in the ACC championship against Virginia, uh, John, I've seen this kid Perkins play. You don't know week to week the quarterback of Virginia, what he's going to look like. Sometimes he looks great. There's a lot of times where I see him and, and the awareness, even with him, like it takes sacks a lot of times, like when they're in, in range. So, I mean, I'm not going to do anything with a game that the team is laying 28 points, that's for sure. And then as far as Wisconsin goes, look, I mean, stranger things have happened. Wisconsin needs like five things to happen in order for them to get in the playoff. One of them, of course, is beating Ohio State outright. And I hate to go week to week, but I got to tell you, after I saw what Ohio State did in the second half to Michigan last week, I can't take Wisconsin either. Craig, you know, first, I think you absolutely nailed it with Bryce Perkins because I've watched a lot of him because I had him on my college fantasy football team all year. And he is one of the most exciting players. But paradoxically, he is so up and down. Makes huge mistakes, man. Huge huge mistakes, mistakes, my friend. I mean, there's no question about his athletic ability, his ability to make plays happen. But you're right. He takes too many big sacks. They don't have a lot of help at wide receiver. Their running game, other than Perkins, is almost non-existent. I was shocked when I saw 28 and a half. I thought it might be 22, you know, a little over three touchdowns. They're telling us over four touchdowns. But the problem is, when you look at the matchup with Clemson, man, their defense, obviously, aren't you going to not only 
by Bryce Perkins with a linebacker or a safety. But you're also going to have a – they're nasty in the front seven, Clemson. They have athletes who can slow down Perkins. So I think they're going to slow down the Cavaliers and specifically Perkins. And then you just look at that Clemson offense, my friend. Travis Etienne is playing such good football. More important, Trevor Lawrence has played awesome football down the stretch. They have Justin Ross and T. Higgins at wide receiver. I'm not touching that game either because you could have Clemson up by 31 points and Perkins rips off a 28-yard touchdown with a minute left and you get the backdoor cover. But, yes, I mean, I'm shocked also that Clemson is such huge favorites. And you know what? I watched that whole Michigan-Ohio State game, and I really thought that Michigan would show us something. You know, they just they fell apart at home. Now, is it Michigan or is it the Buckeyes? When I left, I just said to myself, wow, Ohio State is so explosive on the offensive side of the football with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. And, boy, we're going to be talking about Dobbins pretty soon. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Jamie Eisenberg. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today as the fantasy football playoffs are underway. Believe it or not, we are here. It is week 14. We're going to break down everything that is ahead of week 14. But before we do that, let's take a look back to last night's game in the NFL. As we always do, we bring in Jamie Eisenberg every Friday here on the show to help you win in fantasy and give you some good tips in DFS. He's uh, nailed a lot of them this year. So we'll give you some more of those. And Jamie, uh, thank you for once again coming on the show. Thank you for coming on all year. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays to you and appreciate the time. Thank you for having me on as always. And uh, the same to you, my friend. Yes, it's uh, always good catching up. Last night, we had a game that provided quite a bit of fantasy fireworks. Uh, I know that most people are looking at the negative side, which is the Cowboys, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I suppose we could start with the question, which is after seeing the Bears the last two weeks, can we start to buy in with a little trust on their offense, something that I absolutely never thought three or four weeks ago that I would say after seeing this team never score in the first quarter, all of a sudden they look uh, capable of helping you in fantasy. Can we buy in a little bit now on the Bears? I think the well, it, it's twofold. One, if this was week six, probably. Week 15, when they play again, it's a little bit more challenging from the standpoint of, A, your fantasy team in the playoffs, are you going to trust Trubisky? Um, despite the fact that how he's played, is he earned that right yet to be a starter for your fantasy playoff team? Uh, two quarterback super flex league, it's easy. Uh, one quarterback league, probably not. And they're playing in Green Bay, which has not necessarily been the best place for Bears quarterbacks. The other side of it is, is that, um, you know, I, I think it's, Will this be sustainable? You know, so 
I hope so. You know, I, I give him credit, you know, and I know people will say Matt Nagy and they'll say, you know, uh, a variety of things about the, the Bears scenario, but Trubisky could have easily folded, you know, with how he performed and all the critiques about turning the TV off and, you know, that he seemed like he was crying on the sidelines when Chase Daniel benched it or replaced him that one game. Um, he's fought his way through it, fought his way through the shoulder injury uh, and looked like a star last night, you know, so I, I hope this carries over to 2020 for his sake. And remember, he's a young quarterback. You know, he had one year starting at, uh, in college and, you know, still learning his way through Matt Nagy's system. So I'm, I'm encouraged by him, but not, I think, at this point in the season for fantasy. The the, the one guy you know you're playing is Allen Robinson. Right, I think right. Anthony Miller has, has earned enough of your trust uh, for the last month that he's a, at least a number three receiver. Um, last night was a little bit frustrating because the targets were down. He only had three catches for 42 yards. But his production has coincided directly with Trey Burton going on IR. Not that Burton was a great player for the Bears, but you know, just that middle of the field has been now open because their tight end situation has been so dire. So, uh, and, and you know what to do with the running backs at this point. It's probably you, you're using Montgomery in non-PPR. You're using Tariq Cohen as a flex in PPR. They've been very frustrating, but at least you kind of have a sample size of what they are. So it kind of comes down to what you're also. Like. Yeah, I agree 100% on Robinson. And let me let me add this. Um, uh, and and some people were I, I think tweeting about it last night, and it's really true. I mean, we saw him in Jacksonville with a uh, with Bortles. You know, it wasn't necessarily great, and and now he's got Trubisky there. I mean, I I would love to see Allen Robinson with a premier quarterback in the NFL, Jamie. Like you never, I mean, his career is probably I would say two or three years away from I uh, mean from fiddling out. I mean, it, it's going to eventually. I mean, he's been in the league a long time. But when I look back at his career, I'm going to say, man, if this guy ever had a gunslinger, he could have been a first-round fantasy pick. But it's not going to be that way, and I don't even think it's his fault. Well, he's had gunslingers. They just haven't been good gunslingers. You know what I mean? Bortles <laughs> right. that year was you know chucking the ball over the place. It wasn't very good, except for him. You know those comeback right, efforts. Right. And, right. You know, Trubisky. Uh, you know, I don't think falls in that category per se. But um, uh, yeah, you know, he, he's, he's going to be one of those guys that probably has an unfulfilled career. I hope it's a little bit longer than the timeline you're giving him. Um, but that probably, you know, with the, like there was that one throw where Trubisky, you know, rolled to his left and threw into traffic. And there was about 100 people around there, and Robinson came down with the, the pass, but he got blasted. And it could have probably been worse um, if the defender really wanted to hit him. Um, you know, so, yes, the, these quarterbacks in his career have not exactly elevated him. Uh, but he still has one of the best seasons in NFL history that year he put up with with Bortles. Yeah, you know, I mean, true. Was, yeah. mm-hmm. you look in the record books, it's you know Calvin Johnson's right there with him. So um, he, he's got the talent, and it's probably going to be like that unfulfilled talent just based on his uh, his quarterback. Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, but, you know, Anthony Miller, you're right. It's it seems like he's coming on. It's funny on my show yesterday, I say, yeah, Anthony Miller's going to have a great game probably tonight, but he's going to drop a ball at some point. Like I just can't understand. Like this guy, he makes every great catch. He gets more separation than. Any other receiver, I loved him coming out of college, and I felt like such mm-hmm. an idiot. I'm like, this is going to be a star in the NFL, and it didn't happen. And I'm like, where did I go wrong? I took him in my dynasty league, and you're right on him. But but let me let me ask you this. I mean, you just said that you'd play Montgomery. I mean, Jamie, I don't know, man. In the fantasy playoffs, you still see a role for this guy. Let, let, oh, two part question: You still do you still see a role to play Montgomery in any fantasy league? That's the first. And second, when we look back at this point on the 2019 season, I mean, Montgomery turns out to be a fantasy bust, correct? I think so, just based on the expectations. You know, um, I I thought he'd be a solid number two running back. He probably will end up finishing there, but uh, I agree with you. It's been, you you know, not the the way you want it to happen. It's just based on him staying healthy and falling into 
you know, season's worth of production. The thing that I think you hang your hat on is 20 carries, you know, and so that's something that's hard to overlook when you're talking about workload. Like, you know, when you start to compare him in non-PPR leagues to a guy like, say, Kareem Hunt, who is getting, you know, six or seven carries and, right. you know, four or five catches, but you're hoping for a touchdown there based on total yards. So if you just look at his rushing numbers yesterday, 86 rushing yards, the fumble hurts, um, no catches hurt, and he didn't score. Right. But he's facing a Packers defense next week that stinks against the run. It's been that way all season long. So, um, like I said, it comes down to what you have on your roster. You know, I, I don't think you're looking at David Montgomery, and I hope I didn't, you know, make this sound that way. He's not a must play, okay. but he is still somebody that you have to consider. Okay, um, I have, the, you know, like he, you look. I'll give you two examples, or I'll give you three examples. There's the high end of this guy, which is Derrick Henry. Doesn't catch the ball, but he's awesome. Sure. You know, so you're playing Derrick Henry without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Then there's Benny Snell and Bo Scarborough, the same right. type of guys. You know, yes. they just don't work mm-hmm. in the passing game. They're getting a lot of work. You're hoping for a touchdown. So it comes down to matchups. I wish Montgomery was a little bit more involved in the passing game. We've seen it in spurts. They just don't do it enough, and I think that's the frustrating part of it overall with this game. Yeah, and, and and even on Thanksgiving, you had to wait until the fourth quarter to breathe a sigh of relief if you played him with that late touchdown. And so, look, I, I have him. I did not use him yesterday. I went with um, in the playoffs. I'm going with Beasley essentially over him in a uh, just and a that's floor. PBR is him. Yes, yes, and like a floor right. PPR league. I have Diggs too, who I'm not thrilled with. But I mean, what choice do I really have? Do you bench Diggs? I and mean, the guy goes off. I'll I'll he'll be very. Oh, upset. not against Detroit. No way. Yeah. No. Yeah. So yeah. So I'll play Diggs. But um, okay. So now over to the Dallas side. I like to start with the positive and then move to the negative. Uh, this is this is a baffling one for me. Statistically speaking, Jamie, every single metric points to Dallas being an eight or nine win team already this season. That was going into last night. Now, obviously, last night, a little bit of anomaly because a lot of garbage time points. So, look, nobody watches more football than you. I mean, even me. Like, I, I, I watch a ton. I watch this team every week. I cannot figure this out for the life of me. How How is this team... Defensively, I get it. I've seen the deficiencies, but how is this team offensively never getting off to good starts? Like, I, I mean, on Thanksgiving they scored, then they got blown out. But like every week, it's they got to come back at some point. They got to come back at halftime. Is it that simple? Just to point to the coaching? Is there something else that you guys are seeing? Well, I, I don't know if you have the metrics in front of you, but can you look up coach's stupidity? Is there a metric for that? <laughs> um, He's, okay, He's at the top. You know, it, yeah, it's. Uh, it, well, you said they, they actually do get off the good starts, and I think that's where you see good coaches versus bad coaches, and we see it all the time. They script the first 15 plays. They practice it time and time again. They come out with these strong drives. I mean, I, I give you an example that, that hits close to home few. Florida, Florida State last weekend. Mm-hmm. Florida State's first drive, they have the, uh, the uh, hook and lateral. They have the halfback pass that didn't work. They did all these creative things, and then they got blasted because they're just not a good team and not well-coached. Dallas is a good team. They're just not well-coached. They don't make adjustments in games. You're seeing it with an unfortunate situation because I do think Kellen Moore has an opportunity to be a good play caller in the NFL, but he's probably getting overmatched by some of these veteran defense coordinators. Chuck Pagano probably in particular saw, okay, this is what they're going to do against us. We adjust. They didn't adjust on the other side. And so I think that's part of the problem is is that you see the frustration on the on the sidelines. They're screaming and yelling at each other. There's infighting, you know, and it's yeah. just it's it, it's what happens when a season that's full of hope and expectation falls apart. And so they still have an opportunity as a team to make the playoffs, and because of their talent, can get hot and make a run. But they're getting in their own way. Special teams, you know, you go back to the, the Patriots game. Uh, offensive play calling, defensive injuries have been a problem, which is hard to overcome. 
but it's just not a well-organized and structured team, and that's why we're probably going to see a new head coach next year. Even if you could say Jason Garrett may or may not deserve to be fired, he probably deserves to be fired. Yeah, it's a shame because if you just at the end of the season didn't know their record and you looked at it in fantasy, and yes, Zeke has not been as good as you would have wanted him to be. He'll grade out as a back-end first-round pick as opposed to a top-five first-round pick. But you'll look at Cooper and say, great year, glad I took him. You'll look at Gallup, you'll say, okay, kind of took the next step. You'll look at Prescott, say, yep, QB1. <laughs> and yet it's going to amount to a 7-9 and nine season. And as you said, it if is lucky. if they're lucky, and it's nuts to think that in two weeks, if they beat Philly, all is well in the world. That's all they need. Like that's basically it. They beat they beat the Eagles. They have a really they, good they, chance to get in. They may even not have to worry about that game if Philadelphia falls apart, like we saw against the Dolphins. Oh, you know? So yeah. while while Philly has the easiest schedule remaining, maybe of any team, you know, two games against the Giants, one against Washington, uh, among that game that you mentioned with the Cowboys, um, it's no layup at this point. You know, after losing to Miami. Yeah, no, their their defense. I mean, uh, but before the game, I, I watched it and they're all oh, Jim Schwartz. What a job he's doing! And then they get annihilated by the Dolphins. It's crazy how right. the way uh, he hits that right uh, Fitzpatrick. Come on, <laughs> the analysis was just um, incredible. Five minutes before the game, and that ended ten minutes into the game. All right, uh, let's do this. We'll take a quick timeout. We got to take a look at the full schedule this week. We'll give you some DFS tips as well. Craig Mitch, along with Jamie Eisenberg, here on FST. Don't go away. We're back with Jamie for one more second right after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish and Jamie Eisenberg. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It is Craig Mish here on the show on this Friday. In about a half hour, we're going to turn it over to Dr. Roto. He's got full-time fantasy coming up. And, uh, and Jamie, I know it is playoff time, and so it's like the standard generic question. Uh, you've played, and I'm going to guess close to 20 fantasy football leagues, if not more. Let's let's exclude best ball here for a minute. How many lineups are you having to set for the fantasy football playoffs this week? And and if you want to throw in how many bye weeks you got, I'll I'll hear that out too. How many you got? Sure. Uh, I played in 22. One was a guillotine league, which I already got eliminated, unfortunately. Yeah, so 21 too. seasonal leagues. Um, setting a lineup still in 12 uh, and five mm-hmm. bye. Okay, cool. Hey, you know that guillotine is fun, man. Was this the first year? It was it really the first is. year I did it. It was the first year for me. Did you do it the last year too? No, first time for me. Uh, I agree, it was fun. Um, I hope to do more of them. And uh, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's sad when you get knocked out because you know it, it's the strategy of uh, I don't know how yours is set up, but you know the the remaining players getting thrown back into the pool. Yes, you know mm-hmm. when to spend your fab money is, is yes. something that I, I I learned the lesson the hard way. You know, I spent too much on Marlon Mack, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. one week, and, and that cost me. 
Yeah, I did that with Hopkins, and it didn't work out. You would have thought it would have, the guy who had Hopkins. Mm-hmm. But remember, he had that run in the middle of the season where he didn't really do much. Um, I think we had 16 teams in the league. I made it through uh, seven weeks or eight weeks, something like that. And and I didn't. it was a super flex, too. I didn't realize the importance in that particular format of the quarterbacks. It's very important yeah. at the beginning. But then as you move, they're not important because all the other quarterbacks are available. So, you, But I don't know how I lasted seven weeks. I had Eli Manning and Keenum. And, oh wow! No, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I mean, as bad as it gets, right? And then, so, but, um, but then, as time went by, I was able to pick off a couple of quarterbacks here and there. The other mistake that I made, I should mention too, not uh, Hopkins. That wasn't my big mistake. My big mistake was Antonio Brown. That was the one league that I went for oh. Antonio Brown, and I spent money on him. But I was, I was happy with the result. I think I made it halfway through. It was um, not a complete the, disaster. The one thing that that I did, I, I made it to week ten, I believe. The, the one thing that I did purposely, which worked out, when I would do again, is. You know, take guys that have a good early season schedule. So you get those, you know, first few wins banked, um, and then as teams are losing, you know, you just want to make sure you spend your free agent money wisely. But uh, I, I gave somebody Lamar Jackson week ten, so congratulations. Oh, yeah, wow, that was a great guy to have. Yeah, and the other thing too is that if you just pick all guys that don't have buys for the first six or seven weeks, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, you survive that, pay more, and then you know that those teams are going to get knocked out because of their buys. You can grab the player when they're off the buy. So yeah, a lot of good strategy. Yeah. I thought it was one of the more fun new things that I tried in in fantasy and donated some money to this year. All right, uh, so let, let's go over uh, some of the fantasy matchups this week. And, uh, you know, I want to start with the Redskins. I know it's not a sexy place to start, but I'm seeing a lot of DFS and a lot of season-long leagues being all in on Geis at this point. And you mentioned the Packers struggling against the run. I know Geis has fresh legs. We also know Peterson is there. Um, where are you guys seeing Geis for the remainder of the season? Is he a must-start at this point? I mean, you and I both saw him tear apart the Gators at LSU. I did not think that he would come back this good at the end of the year, and I'm sure going into next year he'll be a supremely coveted player. But let's start off with him, both from a DFS and season-long perspective, because he seems to be getting a lot of buzz. Yeah, the the problem is um, the workload. You know, if, if you were to say right now that Bill Callahan said, you know, we've seen enough of, of AP, he's had a great career, we appreciate everything he's done for us, but this is not the time to feature Darius Geis as much as we can, something to that effect. You'd be like, holy bleep, this guy's I'm all in, because – Matchup is great. They've been very committed to the run since Callahan has taken over, taking pressure off of Haskins. Even as bad as the passing game has been, you saw what the, what the ceiling could be last week because the Panthers are so bad. So they just exploited that matchup, and and both guys were really good. Um, but the fact that, you know, despite guys having 129 yards, scoring two touchdowns, he had three less carries than Peterson. So it's, it's not changing. You know, I don't think it's going to all of a sudden be – maybe it's a, a reversal of the 13 go to guys and 10 go to Peterson. Right. It's just not one of those situations where you're saying he's getting – the, even the Montgomery workload, you know, the, the 20 carries, the 16 carries. Um, so until we see that, it's hard to say must play, but uh, at least a flex, uh, probably better in non-PPR than PPR, especially now that Chris Thompson came back last week. But if you just take results, he's played three games since coming back, 13 or more PPR points in those three games, in two of those three games, excuse me. Um, so he's been productive in the limited touches. He just hoped that, okay, knee is better, health is better, uh, conditioning, all those things, like you said, on top of the fresh legs that now is something that the, the Redskins can build off of. So that's the hope. So he's more of a, uh, you know, desperation play, I think, than a must-start or, or, or a, somebody you feel confident in. But it's just nice to see him doing this and after what he's, you know, suffered through the last two years. Let's stick with the running backs. Dalvin Cook has, has carried a lot of fantasy teams to this point. He has said all the right things. It's been limited, I believe, in practice for him. And a lot of people are, like myself, sitting on Alexander Madison. Uh, I, I can't make a case to start Madison – 
in any league, Jamie, this week unless I know that Cook is out. I, I know the matchup is juicy, and I know it looks good, and, and they're huge favorites in this game. But is Cook just a plug-and-play provided he is active? Is that a guarantee? And is there any scenario for you where Madison is a player? Uh, there's a big scenario, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the thing that you're hoping for from the Madison side of things is that you get some indication, whether it's an Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, Jason Lockerford, any of the NFL insiders, find out from somebody in the Vikings organization that we are going to make Dalvin Cook active, but he's going to be the emergency running back. That'd be great. That yeah. would be the that would be the scenario that you're hoping for for Madison. Uh, obviously, outside from the fact that they just make Cook inactive, the the problem that I fear is that that scenario happens, but we don't know until the game starts. Like the mm-hmm. David Johnson thing a few weeks ago, you yeah, know, where yeah, yeah. It, was, it was all systems go and he comes on for the first carry and then he's done. I don't know if you're Minnesota why you risk this. It makes no sense to me because you have a guy in Madison, 4.8 yards per carry. He's been good every time he gets touches. If he got a full workload, he'd be a star, especially in this game. And so you have a guy in, in Cook who, from everything I've uh, you know, read and heard, uh, you know, pro football doc, he's great, obviously, and stuff like this, um, that this is the same injury that knocked out Tyreek Hill, except that Hill's situation was, I, I think, broken or, or dislodged, his sternum uh, injury, which is why he missed those weeks, whereas Cook is potentially hit away from that happening. Um, so it's a pain tolerance thing for him, which is why every time somebody tugs on his arm, he goes down with an injury. So the hope is that he's fine, 100%, no, no concerns, but you just have to worry about that. So I think if it's Cook active, and we keep hearing all the same things, like you said, you got to play him. You just have to hope that it's not 11 carries like we saw against Denver before their bye week or what happened against Seattle where he just got knocked out. Yeah, and I would think the other part of this, and, and again, you can't ever expect to win, and I get it. It is the Lions, but you know, strange things happen, as we saw last week. The reality of Minnesota's situation is they need Cook for that Packers game in a couple of weeks. You know, They win that game. That could potentially win them the division, and you're right. You know, risking him in any or even scenario just the, right now. The, the wild card. I mean, you know, they're, they're they're not locked into the playoffs, but they're a playoff team. You know, and yeah, so yeah. you want to make sure. That, and that's the weird part of it is that's why they said they kept him out of the second half after he got hurt because they, they want to look at. They said they were looking ahead, you know, to the rest of the season as opposed right. to rushing him back against Seattle. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. I'm really hoping because you know, like I said, the Madison side of things is that you hope that you know Cook doesn't play. The Cook owner is terrified right now that you have to play him, not knowing you can make a replacement option, and then he goes out and has a, a minimal workload and leaves the game because of injury. That's the that's the worst part of it is that you again, if he's active, you have to play him. But what if he doesn't get the the, the four quarters worth of work? Then you're you're lost. Yeah, no, that's it's it's tough. Uh, luckily, they play at one Eastern, so a decision could be made. Uh, one of the later games and one of the higher point totals on the board, the weather's changing, so now these NFL totals go from the 50s to the 40s. It's just natural. But the Patriots are back at home, Jamie. The total is 49. So the indication is is that we're going to see some Patriots offense, but the only time we've seen that over the last few weeks was, I don't want to say garbage time because they were still in the game against Houston, but the only time we saw it was in the second half of the Texans game. So are we to expect that it is all systems go with the Chiefs and Patriots and also, if you wouldn't mind diving into the KC running back situation, which just seems like uh, one to avoid at this point. Yeah, it's a pool you don't want to swim in. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, I think if Damian, I'll start there. If Damian Williams is healthy, you feel a little bit more confident with him because they have given him work. Now, I say that he's got a rib injury. Same thing like Dalvin Cook. He takes one shot. You don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it. But the way that it's trending right now, I would probably expect Damian Williams to be game-time decision or out. Um the replacement options, it's funny because Williams, Damian Williams has missed or left four games this year. In all four of those games, two running backs have scored, 
who have scored at least 11 or more PPR points. It was LaShawn McCoy and Daryl Williams in the week three, week four, and then the Chargers game in week 11. And then last week it was McCoy and Darwin Thompson. The problem is is that Andy Reid has not committed to LaShawn McCoy for whatever reason. He came out this week and said, I know who he is. We know what he is. I have to manage his workload. You know, maybe they're saving him for this point in the season through the playoffs, um, or they're just maybe saving him for the playoffs. So this is an interesting game. The track record for Chiefs running backs against New England is fantastic. So I think McCoy is in play as a flex option, but I just don't think it's a slam dunk that Damian Williams is out. You play LaShawn McCoy, and conversely, if you're really stuck, need a flex play, you know, maybe take a chance on Darwin Thompson and hope, again, that the second guy still gets some work enough that he could be successful, whether it's you know fourth-quarter production or that they're sprinkling him in throughout the game. Um, I think that the Patriots offense is going to play well from Brady's standpoint. You know, I, I don't know who is going to be their leading rusher right. just running the ball. It'll probably be Michelle, but I'm not playing it, even though the Chiefs' run defense has been so bad. Michelle's just been awful. Um, I think James White, what you got last week, is something that you could say not to that level, but back to using him as a primary player in the passing game. And, you know, he had that lull a couple weeks ago where he didn't have uh, any production. Uh, I think that's, you know, gone out the window. Brady at this point, I think, is going to start to consolidate his targets. It's going to be Edelman and White and then finding the third guy. The new barely played last week. Uh, I think that ankle injury is still a problem. Um, Dorsett, you know, he's been uh, frustrating with the concussion. One of those two guys I think is going to have a big game. I can't tell you which one. They're more DFS plays if you just want to take a shot on them, as well as Jacoby Myers, who had the seven targets. But I do think that Brady at home, you throw out the Dallas game because the weather was bad. He's been 21 or more points at home in every game of the season. He's got 300 or more yards in the two games against the Chiefs last year. I don't buy into the Chiefs' defense, despite the fact that they took advantage of uh, Phillip Rivers in Mexico and, and Derek Carr at home. Those are two bad spots for those two quarterbacks. So I think Brady and his building in a game that should be probably over 50, I think he'll put up some numbers against that Chiefs' defense. All right, we're with Jamie Eisenberg from CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. Head on over there if you want to learn who... Jamie is starting both in the season-long playoffs and also the DFS. And the great thing that I always click on each week is, Jamie, your start of the week and potential DFS plays. So if you wouldn't mind, let's wrap up with an option or two for those people who are in in the fantasy playoffs, whether you have them or maybe you're very scared right now because you're going to be playing against them. Uh, I, I think there's a great week for quarterbacks and tight ends from the second and third tier guys because, you know, Mahomes, tough matchup, you're still playing him. Um you know, Josh Allen's probably somebody you want to avoid, but you know, some of the quarterbacks you look at at the top of the, the, the rank list, you know, th- those are easy, but um, this is going to be a fun week for guys like Sam Donald and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick and, you know, guys that have had some good success recently uh, that you could buy into um, Fitzpatrick against the Jets. You already lit them up once. You've seen what the Dolphins defense is like all season long. Donald's coming off clearly a bad game. You can buy into him um, as, as quarterback plays clearly, but the tight ends, I think are really fun. You know, Gusecki's playing well, Tyler Higby, mm-hmm. as long as Gerald Everett's out is playing well. You have Vance McDonald against the free space of the Cardinals. You can trust right. him, mm-hmm. you know, from the standpoint of what you would probably consider trusting him, but the Cardinals defense has been so bad. But one of my favorite DFS plays this week, and it's a result of injury, so just check on Greg Olson's status, is Ian Thomas. Oh, um, he yeah. had four catches last week after Olson went down. Uh, you go back to last year, most of the production was with Kyle Allen at the end of the season, uh, but those two seem to have a good connection. So with Greg Olson, probably, you know, I, I'd like to see him get one more chance to step on the field. I'm sure he doesn't want to go out leaving the game with a concussion. So for his sake, I hope he plays. But if he's out for the rest of the season, Ian Thomas can be somebody that you look at as, okay, this is a building block for this offense moving into 2020. Um, if he's whatever for, for whatever reason available in your dynasty leagues, go pick him up because I think he's got a chance to be really good. Uh, but Thomas is somebody that can close the year playing well and I think has a great matchup this week against Atlanta. Yeah, we'll look forward to that. I heard you say uh, um, Josh Allen not really agree. You, I, I think Buffalo's got a shot this week, Jamie. You don't think they have a shot? I think they absolutely have a shot to yeah. win, but I okay. don't think it's going to be because he plays 
particularly great gotcha. fantasy okay. wise. Yeah. Uh, we had John Brown on our show this week, and I asked him for a prediction. He said he didn't say low scoring, or high scoring, but he said it'll come down to a field goal. I totally agree. I think it's going to come do down too. to, you know, um, these two teams have great defenses. Uh, both quarterbacks are going to do enough to be successful, but um, you know, you feel a lot more comfortable, obviously, fantasy wise, with Lamar Jackson than Josh Allen right now. Oh yeah, no doubt. I have, Buffalo's got to be feeling really good, I would think, um, having a really good season, surprising as well. All right, Jamie. Well, listen, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Good luck in your first round of the fantasy playoffs this weekend. We'll catch up again in round two next week. Have a great one. You too, Greg. Have a good one. All right. There he is, Jamie Eisenberg, CBS Sports and CBSSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jamie Eisenberg. We'll take a quick time out on Fantasy Sports Today. And when we come back, it is time for the two-minute drill as we wrap it up on this Friday. Don't go away. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish. And as we wrap up the show, it is almost time to turn it over to our friend Dr. Roto on Full-Time Fantasy. Before we do that, this is our two-minute drill. The two-minute warning. Two minutes, get your sh- together. Is that going to be enough time? All right, we end the show with a little thank you from me. I want to thank those of you who have supported me for sure through the years, both in fantasy and now with wagering, as the FSGA nominated me for the fantasy sports analyst in terms of wagering for the year by the FSGA. So I want to thank those of you who uh, have followed me along. You certainly can go online, go to my Twitter handle, at Craig Mish, and it is a fan vote. You can vote for me, the, fa- the uh, sports betting analyst of the year. Who would have thought? that the FSTA, once upon a time, would now be the FSGA, and we'd be talking so much about gaming as, uh, as just as much as fantasy. And you know here at SportsGrid, we're doing some amazing things in that space as well, and I'm so happy and proud to be part of it, and uh, hopefully we'll be bringing home that award this coming uh, award season, January in Las Vegas. Thanks again for everybody listening to the show today and all week long. Thanks again to Sean Guastamacchia for producing the program. Thanks to John Lobb, Jamie Eisenberg for coming on the show today. Also, thank you to Chris Pavona for helping out on this Friday as well. Uh, I will talk to you again on Monday in San Diego at the winter meetings. And with that, I wish you a great weekend. I'm Craig Mish. This is Fantasy Sports Today here on FNTSY Radio and Full-Time Fantasy is next. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you on Monday. See ya.